Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with broadcaster and media personality Brody Kane. Today I am chatting with Brody Kane. Now Brody and I have known each other for a number of years. Actually, probably a number of decades, which makes me feel um, rather old. But nonetheless, she's great. Uh, she's a fantastic human being, and she's done very well in the tricky old world of broadcasting. So we chat about her career. We talk about you know dealing with challenges and criticism. Um, we talk about you know through all of that what she's most proud of. And you know one of the things I love about Brody, what she talk about, is she's just outrageously authentic. She is who she is, and, and she did, makes no apologies for that. And so we chat about that as well. Like I said, she's a wonderful human being. I really appreciated the time. Enjoy the episode. Brody Kane, how are you? Look, mate, I'm very good. This weather is very atrocious. I'm sort of struggling with the fact that we're in autumn. You're I won't a, lie. You're a summer girl, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of, I go through these stages where, like, last night I was like, oh, God, it's half past eight and it's dark. So I get, like, a little bit antsy. But apart from that, I'm absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Good, good. It's nice to have you here. Thanks so much for doing it, I guess, firstly. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. And I guess, secondly, I guess congratulations on everything. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you may laugh it off, but I think it's, you know, you've done really well for yourself. You've got to be proud, at least, when you think back. Gosh, well, I'm thinking about when you and I used to work together at Radio Works on Kilmore Street, and um, that was a very long time ago. That was when we were rock roadies, weren't we? Yeah. And we had the rockbulance, and we had a lot of fun back then. And But if I look back at then, you know, that was all still kind of part of a plan, you know. It was like get your foot in the door with radio, you know, for the overall plan to be involved in the media industry. So even back then we were all pretty hungry and ambitious in what we were doing. And I don't think that's waned, to be honest. Um, I think that from definitely university, probably not first year in that because you were finding yourself and getting drunk every other day, but, you know, like definitely in the thick of uni and till now, I just have always been really driven and very, very competitive towards myself. I dare say that that's probably helped to get to where I am today, you know, and it's sort of like you, you don't ever want to sort of stop. You don't want to sort of get off the ride. And sometimes you do need to stop and get off the ride and have a bit of a quiet time. But I think that I just am trying to make the most of living and, and being as successful as I possibly can. And that doesn't just mean career-wise, but just in life in general as well. So I guess that sort of keeps me going. Yeah. 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 You know, I think uh, the sort of competitive drive to get better is synonymous with most people that are achieving success. Mm. And it's funny, you know, you talk about that, you know, like how we started in radio, you know, cooking sausages <laughs> on Sunday mornings outside, you know, Harvey Norman. Oh, yes. That's how you cut your teeth, I think, in radio. But, you know, let's sort of fill in the gaps a little bit for people that maybe don't know. It's, you know, that was sort of, what was that, 10 years ago maybe, a bit longer? It was, lo it was actually longer. Mm. It was about 14-ish years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a long time. Yeah. So, you know, to go from literally entry-level radio to where you are now, what's sort of been the journey for you? Because I think we, you were studying journalism when we were working together, weren't you? Yeah, so I was at um, Canterbury doing a Bachelor of Arts and I double majored and then I did postgrad journalism with Jim Tully at Canterbury as well. 
I definitely knew that I wanted to be a journalist and even us cooking sausages, I think, still played its part in that. And then I obviously started trying to get a few um, sort of shifts here and there at Radio Live and, and sort of sometimes you just got to keep annoying people um, so that they'll go, oh, my God, if I give this girl a shift at Radio Live, will she shut up or go away kind of thing? <laughs> um, and so that kind of like ambition helped me get my first job out of university, which was up at Radio Live in Auckland. Uh, so I worked in the newsroom there for, I think it was just under four years. And what's the, you literally like, you're going out and doing audio interviews on yeah, so current affairs. Yeah, so you, um, it's quite funny because obviously when people hear radio news, they hear a newsreader reading it and they don't think, they often realise that there are journalists that are writing the stories and often out filing voice reports and stuff like that, um, which you do notice more, I guess, when you're listening to like a, a news talk ZB bulletin or a, or a, you know, one that's on um, magic talk. Yeah. It used to yeah. be Radio Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would, yeah, you'd be sent out on stories, you'd be sent to court. I remember that my first day uh, I was sent out to a depositions hearing at court for the Kahui Twins murder trial. So it was like my first day on the job. And the really rewarding thing about being a radio journo, and that's what I tell a lot of young students like from broadcasting school and that, is that because most of the teams are a bit smaller, your opportunities are greater. You know, you a smaller team means that if someone hap- if no one else happens to be around and there's a big story on, you'll go and do it. Yeah. And that was definitely the case for a lot of us young journos up in Auckland. Like we got to do everything. And so that was pretty amazing. And it was and I I've have such fond memories of that. You know, your your first real well not not that it's well, you your first career sort yeah. of driven yeah, job. First job yeah. yeah. Um so that was I think about three years or so. Yeah. And then I moved um, to do a very similar job at News Talk ZB. And so that was, yeah, much of the same. And then I kind of made a decision. I was at an age where I thought, I think now is probably a time to travel. I just sort of thought, I think I was about 24 and I thought, well, quite often as well, it's an attractive trait to be worldly wise, you know, to have gone and cut your teeth somewhere else. I sort of thought, well, I'll do that, but also – you know, every New Zealander, yeah. every young New Zealander yeah. has desires to go and do an OE. Yeah. And um, that's also a bit of a risk, though. I think, like, you know, for someone like you, when you're building a career in an industry that sort of to, I mean, not throw it all in, to put it all to one side mm. and go and follow something else. I mean, I know people that have been in radio and it sort of gets too good for them to leave, you know, mm. and opportunities keep presenting themselves. And next minute, you know, like there's, you know, families and they're, you know, traveling is not something they're able to do. So it is a bit of a risk, you know. Yeah, I think at that time, I, Felt like that was probably a good time to do it. I was still young enough that I wasn't worried that you couldn't I couldn't come, come back. back yeah, you know, I, and and to be honest with you, I did want to go over there with the idea of once I got sort of to, like to London or something, I, I I wanted to try and get into journalism there. Mm-hmm. The irony in that was that, like, I got to London. I travelled for about eight months or so, and then I got to London. I had a couple of contacts that I was trying to reach out to at like BBC and stuff like that. And by the time they actually sort of came back and said, yeah, we'll we'll give you some shifts and stuff like that at BBC World. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But by that time, as Murphy's Law would have it, I was sort of sick of being really poor in London. So I'd started applying for jobs back home. Mm -hmm. And so literally the day that 
the guy at the BBC World said, hey, yep, we can sort of start giving you some casual shifts, I got offered a job back in New Zealand. And so I remember just thinking, okay, well, you know, oh, you know. And I think that what I thought at the time when I made the decision to come home was, and it was a job as a, a producer on the political show Q&A at TVNZ, and that was a place that I wanted to work. I wanted to be a television journalist and I thought, well, that is probably a really, really good, respectable job and a way to get your foot in the door because that's half the challenge for people in the industry yes. is to just get a foot in the door. Yeah, absolutely. And so I thought I could either – I was weighing it up. I was yeah. like, I could either stay in the UK. I've got no money right now. Like, I, you know, the job that I was doing, I was earning £7 an hour, which is about $14. I was like, I have no money now. So if I start working here – I'm either going to have to save up heaps to afford to live somewhere that's not on someone else's couch or I'm going to have to save so that I can do a bit of travel and then maybe come home. And I was like, do you know what? No, I'm good. I'm going to I'm going to go home. I think the opportunity is too good. So I did that and I've not one day regretted it. It's fascinating when you think, what if I didn't? Yeah. But I'm actually, I, I have no regrets. I think it was a really good decision to make. So yeah. that was... 2012 that I came back and worked at TVNZ and then I ended up working at TVNZ for I think it was five and a half, nearly six years. Wow. Yeah. And you ended up on The Breakfast Show, didn't you? I actually worked on almost all of the shows actually. I <laughs> started on Q&A and I worked there and then after a year on Q&A I got offered a job to work in, back down in Christchurch on Seven Sharp and so that was – 2013, and I did that for about 18 months. was a reporter on Seven Sharp, and then I got a job on Fair Go, so then moved back up to Auckland and worked on Fair Go, which I absolutely loved, for two years. And then after that, I was part of the uh, a New Look breakfast show and did the sports presenting, and I think that was about 18 months yeah. Um, before then moving back down here yeah. and um, working on the Hits Breakfast with Fitzy. So yeah. had been doing that up until last Friday and um, so been down here for back down at home for just over two years. Yeah. Two years, sort of three or four months. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? Look, it's funny because just so many different interesting and exciting jobs and I've valued each one of them. And, you know, that's not to say that each of them didn't have challenges, but really, really feel grateful and and, and certainly that I've been busy and, and crammed a lot into it and I'm only 33. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you, but it's funny because you remind yourself of that and you look at you're 33 and you want all the stuff and you've got all these goals and you remember you, you were a bit the same 10 years ago and that. And then you look at people that you look up to that might be 20 30 years older than you and you're like, wow, you know, there's still so much time. So you've kind of got to remind yourself of that as well, that you don't have to do it all by 35 or yeah. even 40, you know, yeah. like or even 50. So that's sort of that reminding yourself that you don't have to yeah. have done it all, yeah. you know. It's not a race, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a lot to achieve in, in a relatively short amount. Of, I mean, as far as like your radio career or, you know, broadcasting career has been 12 years, there's a lot to mm. have sort of um, sort of have <laughs> fit in there. And then um, so you've been on – you're not a morning person. How's what the last few years been like? Well, do you know what's funny about that is because when I got the breakfast job, I can't tell you any morning that the alarm went off that I was pleased about it. 
What and time? mind you, what time does it go off? Well, when, when you were on breakfast telly, the alarm went off at half past three, which is just horrific. It's the middle of the night. <laughs> it is the middle of the night. Like the job was so fun, but the hours were horrendous. They were horrendous. And I pretty much felt like you almost always lived in a constant state of jet lag. There was always a point in your day that you were struggling to stay awake. I remember once I fell asleep waiting for my warrant, just sitting in a, you know, just in a plastic chair at the VTNZ and another time as I was getting my nails done. You know, just was, yeah. sleeping was not a problem for me. So the hours were really challenging. But then when when I left breakfast and, and started working on the hits, it was like an extra hour's sleep. So I actually kind of tried to train myself that that was like a treat. <laughs> but honestly, getting up with a four at the start as opposed to a three, it actually is quite a big difference. It <laughs> might not sound <laughs> like it. Even just mentally, a yeah, four yeah. on the alarm clock. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the most important thing you have to do is at the very least try and have a relatively good routine. You really do suffer if something goes out of whack, if you've had a big weekend or you're not eating right or, you know, those things mm-hmm. you actually find are really important. Yeah. What um, time do you finish on those days? Because, like, often people think that, you know, like as soon as the it's off that your job's done and, yeah, you're eight, it's 8.30 in the morning or 10 a.m. in the morning and, right, you're done for the day. But it's not like that, is it? Well, I think as well people think that you walk in at six and go, hey, <laughs> yeah. and just start winging it. Yeah. And, and you're right, the same when you go off, just walk out the door. But... There's so much planning that goes in behind the scenes to get a good show to air, to plan good promos, to look ahead at things that, you know, that would benefit the listener, ways to make the show entertaining. So, you, we, I mean, we were off air at nine, but planning at least, you know, for a couple of hours and or going out and filming stuff locally, you know, and we also have to do the occasional emceeing, like at the rugby and stuff like that. So, and I think as well... You're always on. Yeah. So if the people want to talk to you at the supermarket, that you know, there's that. But you're also always looking around and thinking for story idea yeah. and that kind of thing as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I think is probably the most tiring is that you are actually always on. And I think people probably underestimate as well three hours of trying to uplift people in the morning and it doesn't matter if you've got a splitting headache or you've had a, you're in a foul mood or whatever, that's yeah. irrelevant. You you have yeah. to throw yourself at that radio. Yeah. And so and that's hard. Yeah. But so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. Well, no, it's not something that everyone can do. You know, like there's some jobs you can show up to in a bad mood or with a headache or tired or hungover or whatever it is, but you know, like a broadcast is not one of them. Well just you just your job is to not have any problems, you know, unless yeah, yeah. it's unless it's an entertaining problem yeah, 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 that yeah, people yeah. might laugh at. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, as I say, it's still I have felt very grateful yeah. to be able to call that kind of job a job because it is yeah. so much fun and working with someone like Fitzy who has been in the industry for so long and is such a awesome professional but loyal person mm-hmm. who I felt like every day had my back. So yeah. you know, it was a really safe environment to work yeah. in as well with him, which yeah. made it so much easier for me to sort of get used to actually being, a, you know, the previous radio stuff I'd done was, you know, journalism. He made the transition into actually hosting a show and and learning so much 
um, he made that so easy yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. The people you do it with definitely can have a huge effect, mm. whether you know good or bad. Media, like a lot of things that are sort of a high end sort of area, is quite cutthroat. Mm. You know, like it's um, if it doesn't fit in or you don't work well with a team, it's sort of like, hey, look, you know, you're gone, sort of thing. It's the same in you know in sport or even you know high level business. It's like, hey, look, you don't fit in. Um, sorry, you're gone, sort of thing. How have you found that? I think you just have to be really realistic about it and you know, especially now more than ever, with the changing environment of media, there are so many more challenges to traditional forms of media, which you would argue is, you know, television, uh, radio, newspaper, right? Because, what you know, traditional forms of television are up against multi-billion dollar companies like Netflix and Amazon. They are. You know, newspapers, not as many people are buying them anymore. People are accessing the information online and there's so many ways to do that. And, you know, radio with things like Spotify and even, you know, podcasts Mm. and stuff like that. So that means that there's even more pressure on the bigger companies in that to perform, I guess, in, in a financial sense as well. So I think you're always realistic that if you're not performing, well, no, I mean, it's not just that, but if you're part of something that doesn't fit with the plan or the plan needs to change, you kind of just have to roll with the punches. You appreciate that you're not always going to be required or you're not always going to fit into the overall plans of or maybe of a company's plan or or whatever. So I think you just have to realise that. And I think the other thing you kind of have to do is it sounds kind of brutal, but you sort of are acutely aware that one day you might wake up and you're just not relevant anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. you, I think you kind of have to be realistic that – you have to do this for as long as you possibly can, but you kind of also want to try and adapt yeah. with the changing environments, with how people are wanting to access media and that. So I think if you – like I really try and have an open mind about it and I also appreciate that, yeah, there might be a day that people were sick of listening to me or I'm just not interesting enough anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah no, totally. Or, so I kind of always try and remember that and I think yeah. that keeps you – grounded. Everyone's also replaceable, you know, so I think you've got to remind yourself of that. And those kinds of things always make me realise that even if you're feeling like things are going really well, just keep your head on, you know, like don't get too caught up in it because it could be gone. Yeah. So... What you just said is amazing. My question is, how do you sort of distance yourself from someone saying that you might not fit into the company's vision right now and not take that personally? You know, when someone's like, hey, um, it's not working, and you said you've got to keep an open mind that you might not be relevant anymore. If something like that happens, how do you make sure that that's not a, you know, you don't take that as I'm not relevant, whereas I'm not relevant to the overall plan or whatever it might be? I think it's hard, and I don't think that there's a quick fix to that. but I think if you're aware that you're in a particular industry where decisions can be made at any given moment for whatever reason, I think you wouldn't last if you took everything personally, to be honest. I struggle sometimes when I say, oh, you know, you develop thick skin and that, because you don't always have to have thick skin. You know, you're allowed to feel vulnerable and upset and hurt and if you want to. But I think it is important to realise that, yeah, taking things personally, I think it's just a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I feel like it, it's a waste of energy and you need to stay, you know, now more than ever, 
we have an opportunity as a society to be proud of who we are, to embrace who we are as people, who we are as a community, and really be proud of that. So I think that's probably a good thing that we're all probably learning as well. Yeah, but it's hard to do, isn't it? It's a nice idea to be proud of who you are authentically. But, you know, when you only have to look at, you know, 99% of people's social media accounts and you know that no one's life looks like that, it's like those are, that's cherry-picked the best part mm. of everything, you know, mm. and it's, it's hard to, to sort of separate yourself from that. I think people's expectations are slightly... They're not real anymore. I think of mm. what people think someone's life looks like. You know, you look at someone, and maybe like we talk about the, you know, how you know mental illness is on a rise. But I think it's this is my personal opinion. But but a lot of people's maybe expectations of how life is are not realistic anymore because they see, you know, I mean, you're one of the people on social media that I would say is you know outrageously authentic. Yeah, which probably is. You've, you've, that's your personality and you've been like that on air as well. Well, I don't think I'd be good at bullshitting people anyway. I'm a terrible liar. so um, That's a good trait. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think I've always, and I think a lot of that's come from my upbringing and, and my parents and, you know, I think about mum who, you know, is my best friend and I've learnt so much from her, but I've also watched her be someone that's, someone who speaks her mind and is not afraid to stick up for the little guy or anyone for that matter. Mm. And I think in her generation, especially as a woman, that could be perceived as, oh, you're outspoken, you're bossy, you know, all that, all those things yeah. that we're trying to break down is particularly for women now. But I've watched her yeah. be like that. Yeah. And and I, you know, aspire to that realness and to be proud of who you are and where you come from and, and all of that. That's what I've always known. Yeah. In the particular kind of world that I'm in, in terms of a relatively, you know, your job is relatively high profile, you also have to accept, and I think that this is what makes it okay for me, is that not everyone's going to like you. And that's okay. Do you, like, I don't like everyone in the world, you know? And so you have to realise that, and I think drawing on that kind of social media, wanting to put your best stuff out there, who cares? Like, it's just too hard. <laughs> so if I'm who I am and someone can't stand that, that's fine. Yeah, That's their decision. And so if you're aware that the world works in a way where we can't all be the same and we can't all like the same things, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And, and so in my personality, there are people that don't like it. And they sometimes, you know, in particular if it's on social media, they'll tell you about it. But that's cool. It's like, well, all right, mate, no worries. See ya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so um, that sort of always keeps me grounded with that as well. Yeah, the criticism <laughs> keeps you grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's a, a funny way to look at it, but it's a, it's a good way because I know that, you know, like online people can be harsh, mm-hmm. like things that people wouldn't have any guts to say to your face that are happy to type things. Have, you know, like have you, you said you've experienced stuff like that before? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have really strong views about online bullying and, and trolling. And, and honestly, I actually was writing something today, a few questions that were fired to me for something else. And the question was, if you had an invention or if you could invent something, what would it be? And I said, well, I don't know if it's an invention, but if I had my way, I'd shut down the internet and I'd start it again. Surely there'd be a way to just not have a platform for trolls, to not have the dark web, to not have 
these environments where people can go and feed on making other people miserable. Mm. I really, really, that's my, was one of my big wish, yeah, you know, yeah. big, big wishes. Because not everyone's as tough as you are, you know, like, and, and maybe, you know, when you're in a high profile job, you probably attract more criticism and, and more positivity um, than normal people, but not everyone has that sort of tough skin and can wear criticism as well as others. That's why it winds me up so much, because if I look back at high school, when I was at high school, if you didn't like someone or they didn't like you, you had to tell them face to face. Like, you know, it was in the playground. And, you know, there were times at high school where shit got heated, you know, yeah. and but you that was how it had to work. And I look now and the two things that concern me are if things were tough at school, you could go home. But now with kids with phones and Instagram and Facebook and all of that stuff, it's like they can't escape. And that's what really, really concerns me. But the other thing that is just really, and this is where I see it firsthand, not as much anymore, but particularly when you're on telly, people get nasty, real, real nasty. And the most disappointing thing is that it's adults. And you're like, and so... Sometimes you think, you, like, you'll go and click on their profile and it's like a, a guy and his, you know, some of my worst, what, mean, meanest criticisms are from middle-aged men. And you look at their profile picture and it's like, there you are with your lovely wife or there you are with your kids. Imagine if they came home and said, hey, this person said this to me in the supermarket. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I, yeah. I've, and I've, I don't do it all the time because I try not to even let yes. it bother me, but... On the odd occasion, I will get in there and engage and then I'll share that experience because I want to remind people, A, that it's not okay, but B, if we're doing this as adults, we cannot continue setting these examples for yeah. our kids. It just, it's unacceptable and I, it really winds me up that there's just this avenue to do it, that people can just spew hate. I just really don't like it. Yeah. Um, and I think back to like prior to social media, if you had a thought or you wanted to say something, you had to be brave enough to pick up the phone and either ring talkback, which, you know, is not that anonymous. Mm -hmm. You had to write a letter to the editor, which meant that you had to actually be relatively articulate. Or if something really, really annoyed you or you felt strongly about, you'd march down the street. Now, anyone can sit behind anything under any unit username and just spout whatever they want. And then the other, see, now you've got me on a real tangent. Um, and then, you know, we, a lot of people were trying to use the excuse of freedom of speech. And I'm like, I don't think freedom of speech isn't a good excuse to be a shitty person. Yeah. So what do we do? Uh, there must be some ways that governments can look at making some more serious yeah. laws around that kind of behaviour? Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting question, how do we fix it? I mean, I, I, I don't, maybe you're right, maybe legislating it is one thing, but I think that's sort of putting a like a Band-Aid on it. It's like the problem is not that people are, are using that platform to do it, it's that people feel like it's appropriate, you know, or it's um, acceptable to mm. do that sort of thing. And, and that's a bigger problem, you know. It's not just, like you said, the, the platform does give people more of an opportunity to be like that, but I think that it's people thinking that it's acceptable is the bigger yeah, problem. Yeah, well, but I also look at that, that as well. There's a couple of things I'd say on that. And, like, if I go if I go a troll or I, you know, spout back or something and I'll share it, but I'll always cross their name out and quite often people are like, shouldn't we be naming and shaming these people? And I'm like, 
but I don't know their circumstances. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think if you're someone that's quite happy to sit behind a computer and say something horrible about someone, then there's actually probably something going on in your life that you need to address. I don't think it's responsible for me to, you know, yeah, if it was that. something I was super concerned about, I'd go to the police. Yeah. But then the other thing, and I genuinely think this is half the time, is if you're someone that's just commenting on, like, you know, when I worked on breakfast, that people would comment on the breakfast page and that. I don't think half the time they think that anyone looks or checks. You know, a couple of times people would, you know, if I would decide to call people out, a number of occasions people were like, oh, my God, I, I, I'm so sorry. I've been having a really bad day. I didn't think you'd read this. Like, that happens quite a lot. Yeah. So, you know, or people have, you know, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean that. I was having a, all sorts of excuses yeah, yeah, come yeah. out. So I think there's a lot of that, that they think that there's just this page where they can there's go. There's a vent on their own personal. Yeah, yeah. and the, I mean, the best advice is to never read any of that stuff, and I actually really do make a good habit of yeah. doing that because un- unfortunately as well if you go and spend any time doing that or too much time it makes you feel really bad about bad humanity for you, bad for your mental health <laughs> and, yeah, and you yeah. kind of got to remember that the, the world that it has does have great people that aren't doing that but if you sort of get bogged down in it you think oh my god you know you brought up a great point you just said that um not everyone's gonna like me and that's okay you know i think that's a great way to be regardless of what people do for a living or a job or and look if if anyone's got any ambition to do something you know to a relatively high degree you're gonna attract criticism you know Mm. it doesn't matter what field it in whether it's in media or sport or business or anything if you're going to put yourself out there there's going to be someone that your views don't align with and they're probably going to tell you about it so expecting that and probably understanding that it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of difference is probably a good thing. Well, I th- yeah, and I think that there will always be people that will be jealous of other people. Jealousy is a very, very ugly emotion and longing for something that they don't have so they'll take it out on, on people that do have it. And that happens all mm, around the world, yeah. you know, and so I think that's just unfortunately yeah. part of reality. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's sort of ingrained a little bit in our DNA because humans are, you know, are hardwired to be herd creatures, you know, mm. and then and our safety is in our numbers. And when someone exceeds the normal level of achievement in whatever field, it sort of threatens the groups, you know, makes them a little bit more vulnerable. So their, their opportunity is to do one of either two things. And one is to push themselves to try and get better, um, which is hard and mm. difficult for them, or to try and pull the person back down to where everyone else is. And that's the easier option, which unfortunately most people seem to... <laughs> Tend to resort to. Yeah. What's it been like for you? You know, in your field, a, a consequence, I guess, of of being you know interested and good at your job is that you accumulate a following and a presence of your own, and an audience of your own. What's what's that been like? I mean, you talk about getting recognised at the supermarket and things. You know, that's it's just part of the job. I don't think it's changed me because I still will go to the supermarket and track pants, and I still. You know, we'll get a bit pissed at bars from time, to, only from time to time, and, <laughs> you know, or go and you know go and have yeah. fun and 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 do all the things that I love to do. The very humbling thing is when, and especially now with like the likes of Instagram, where people have a direct line to you, which they probably didn't have a lot of before, is that this weird thing where you're affecting people's lives every day, or you know, people send you really nice messages. And that kind of side of it, like I'll give you one example. Like for instance, I've in the past sort of few years really taken a real passion to running. And so I just am like, I'm going to just share my running. And I didn't ask anyone if they wanted to see it. And I, you know, don't particularly worry if people are like, I don't want to watch that because it's my decision. It's my page. 
but then in turn that's become something that people are like inspired by and that that I still find really weird. It's like um, our Girls on Top podcast as well, that kind of thing that we've just sit around and talk about stuff that girls talk about and, you know, you get people that tell you that it's made a huge difference in, in, in many aspects of their lives and so that's the bit that does overwhelm me yeah. a bit that you're some in some ways making a difference to people's lives is like, oh, gosh, okay. You know, it's yeah, quite yeah. Over, not, it not overwhelming, but humbling. Yeah, yeah, really humbling. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, when you accumulate a, you know, a substantial following, it's humbling, but it's also a responsibility, I think, you know, like because you have all these people that now look up to you for it, you know, and you're obviously doing the right thing. You're encouraging, you know, people are inspired to run by following you as opposed to inspired to, I don't know, something negative, you know, but it's, um, you know, I think that... Maybe not everyone that has a substantial following maybe understands the responsibility and the effect that, you know. I think part of it for me, where I'm lucky, is that I have still have my journalism background. Mm-hmm. So where I understand things that maybe others don't is I went to uni and I studied media law and media ethics and all of that kind of stuff. So I appreciate when I'm saying or doing something that it may have consequences. So, you know, there's that added awareness. Does that mean that I always get it right? No, absolutely not. But I think that, oh, it's just tricky, isn't it? Because we we are in this thing that's grown from, it was not anything when we were teenagers and that, mm. and now social media is a massive part of people's lives. And I think we're all trying to figure out what on earth it is and what we should be using it for. And it's created a whole different psyche in in some people's lives. And I think, to be fair, it's put a little bit of narcissism in all of us, you know, because, you know, if you even something as small as back in the day you had your throwaway camera or your digital, you know, whatever, and you went and got the photos developed and that was what you had. And you were like, well, okay. And, you know, you look back at photos and you're like, these are terrible, but you had them up on your wall or you'd go out for a night with your digital camera and then you'd upload the whole album to Facebook. (laughs) Now we all take a photo, look at it, nah, that's not good, you know, and you zoom in and you only look at you, you're like, oh, that's a good one of me. You know, we all, I think most of us are guilty of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, So all of us have changed to some extent. It's being aware of that, I think, and I think that, um, yeah, some people are using it for good. But, I mean, I think people's good is different as well. Like there are people that are obviously really, really, really successful with, you know, millions of followers and stuff like that. And, you know, I might go, that doesn't inspire me. Um, That doesn't make a difference in my world. I'm not going to follow. But it might in someone else's, I don't know. But I think somehow there needs to be way more of a level of responsibility that comes with the platform because if you think about it, if you are someone that has – or even – Thousands of followers. That's a lot of people listening to you. Hmm. And um, I, I think even less than that. Like it's you know, like if you have two or three hundred people following you, it's like like you said back you know a hundred years ago. If you wanted to say something to two or three hundred people, you probably had to put flyers up all over yeah. the town, tell everyone you knew, to tell everyone they knew, and bring everyone they knew. And you might get two hundred people in the room to listen to what you had to say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can have two hundred followers, which is nothing mm, you know, in, mm. in scale today, and you can say anything you want to them. Well, yeah. And so. For me, I look at that, I get, and again, going back to that journalism background, I think that 
if you have any amount of followers, that that comes with responsibility. And you only even have to look. My classic example was last year where you had the Amazon fires, right? And I think people now as well feel like they have to share when they care or they feel like they necessarily sometimes have to share a post to sort of signal Oh, that's on my radar. But is it? Did you go and and my example is this. So a lot of people were sharing the wrong photos of fires. So they were either not photos in the Amazon or they were from 30 or 40 years ago. And I get a little bit wound up at that because I'm like, if you cared, I'm not saying people don't care, but go and do your research. If you're going to make a decision to share something, make sure it's right. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of misinformation is getting out there and someone might tweet. Like I remember saying to the girls on the podcast when all of this was happening, I was having a bit of a debate with them because they were like, oh, but, you know, it's you mean well. And I'm like, nah, I'm sorry. I call BS on that. If you mean well, make an effort and go and check it. Meaning well and putting the facts out there wrong. You know, if someone's tweeting something and everyone decides to share it and it's wrong, well, then that's irresponsible. Yeah. So that's what sort of does sort of get me a little bit is that you think about the six o'clock news and and roughly, you know, half a million people or so watch that every night. So with that comes massive responsibilities as a news organisation bound by laws, rules, broadcasting standards. How many people have easily half a million followers? Are they bound by those same rules? No. That's a great point. And I, I am concerned about that because... It's great that we've got so much more access to information and people and that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it's like, who do you go to if what that person's saying is wrong? Yeah. You know, factually incorrect. Yeah. So that's, we've got a long way to go with that. Yeah, we do. Well, it is an interesting time. You know, we're, you know, there's been several revolutions in our history with the Industrial Revolution. And this is the sort of technology revolution we're sort of living through right now. And it's, um, there's, so many changes happening so quickly that, you know, as always, there's problems that are presenting itself. But I think you're right. You bring up an interesting point that sometimes maybe people are sharing something that just to let other people know that it's, uh, you know, more to signal to their peers that this is important to me, whether they've actually done something about it or not. Yeah, well, I think you don't always have to do everything publicly as well. And I feel like we feel like we do. You know, we're all probably guilty of oversharing now. Yeah. And if you want to do things in the background that are good for the world, you can, yeah. you know, and you don't have to always shout it out there. Yeah, yeah. I had Alex Reese on the podcast and he's an amazing young man. He, New Zealand cricketer, and he set up a charity in India and and I, I asked, you know, for a bit of advice or something at the end of the podcast and he said, uh, do something good and, and don't tell anyone about it. And I sort of questioned him a bit more. I said, well, you know, why is why is that extra element important? And he said, because when you don't tell anyone about it, you do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I think that's so true, isn't it? You know, if you want to support athletics, then support athletics because you like athletics, mm. not because you think it's going to signal to your peers that you're doing the right thing, you know? Like, and I thought that was, you know, that's the platinum rule, I guess. The golden rule, do something nice. The platinum rule is do something nice and don't tell anyone. Oh, I think I think that's fantastic advice. And more people should not feel the pressure to have to, do everything and, and tell everyone, you yeah. know. So I, yeah, I I agree with him on that. Mm-hmm. Smart man. Yes. <laughs> um, one of the things, we've sort of mentioned it a few times, one of the things I, I quite like about you is, you know, you're, you're happy to voice your opinion regardless of 
maybe regardless of the consequences, you know, like, a, you know, with a high profile job, I don't know your contract, but I'm sure there's, you've probably got to stay in some sort of good standing. But, you know, if something comes up to you and, and it sort of seems it doesn't fit with you, you just say it. And I really like that. I think that's uncommon because I think that there's high profile people that maybe care about things or something's important to them, but don't want to upset the apple cart that they're currently writing in. You know, you've spoken to everything from, you know, body image, bullying, abortion even. Does that ever land you in trouble? Do you know what? I think I've been very, very lucky to have supportive employers who are more so now than ever embracing strong women. And, you know, you look at wonderful people like Hilary Barry, Alison Moore, to name just a couple. There's an amazing video out now. Video. What are we in the 90s? Well, no, it is still a video, isn't it? It is still a video. It is still a video. Claire Chittam has just released an amazing video and it's doing the rounds on social media and it's got her, it's got Hilary Barry, it's got um, Gemma Ross, who's a, a PR manager. It's got a lot of amazing women speaking about the ways that they've been spoken to and how we, you know, one of those awesome, powerful yep. videos. So I feel like I'm very fortunate that we're in a bit of a, I guess, sea change that that is okay to be who you are and say what you think. You've got to pick your timing though, you know, and you still have to be careful and you, and you still have to be responsible. I think that that's really, really important to make sure you are. But at the same time, yeah, I've been really lucky that I can be, particularly, honestly, with, with NZME, they've been amazing in terms of being like, we want you for who you are, so don't shy away from being that. And so, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> when I expressed my views in a vocal uh, way to a couple of anti-abortionists who were standing outside the hospital last year, and then I posted it, did I think, oh, God, am I... Uh, <laughs> in trouble but no and I think you just got to make sure that yeah you're, you're doing it for the right reasons and in a I guess a safe and responsible kind of way yeah so it's just about yeah thinking about the, like being thoughtful if you not just spouting your mouth off which probably can get you in trouble but mm. going right what you know because when I did yell out to those anti-abortionists I'd run around the park so I'd really thought about it you know like I didn't just do it straight away I'd gone around an extra loop of Hagley to come back and go no I'm gonna do it you know and um so I did sort of check myself and then I was like no still gonna do it and I, I said my body my choice you know my womb has nothing to do with you with the exact words and um there's nothing wrong with me saying that because we live in a, a democratic free society and they're standing there expressing their, their views and I'm doing the same so I think as long as you're aware that what you're doing is uh, is not dangerous, is not inflammatory, is not inciting the wrong kind of behaviour, then I kind of think it's okay. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's um, it's refreshing. You know, I think it's nice, and I think it probably sets a you know makes you into a, a good role model. You know, that's creating a, a you know, generation of people that are feel it's okay to say what's you know what is important to them, mm. um, and that changes from person to person, of course. But um, it's a it's a good example in the left. Um, so currently you're kind of in a transition, um, mm. you know, you've just mm. finished up last week and we sort of spoke a bit before we jumped on the podcast and we talk about the, your last job. So that's just finished up and you, you move on now and you said something that was kind of stuck with me. It's like, well, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to happen at the time, but I've, I'm 
excited now and I've got a, a good outlet for it. And I don't know, maybe do you want to elaborate on that a bit more? Because I think it's a really interesting point that, you know, like just because something happens outside your control, regardless of what it is, it doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be a positive. Yeah, I think people know that the show that I was working on with Fitzy is being replaced by John and Ben and that's a decision that NZME has made and I respect that decision and I respect John and Ben as broadcasters they're funny guys they're talented and so you can't sort of dwell you know that's a decision that's made yeah you know and um you go okay cool you need to sort of go right what am I going to do next kind of thing and that's kind of where I, I think well, you just have to grab it and go, right, what am I going to do next? Like I try have in all of my um, elements of my career have tried to keep a pretty open mind and that's led me, you know, up to Auckland, back to Christchurch, up to Auckland, back to Christchurch. And so I still think that that's probably where I sit now as you go, right, I've got, you know, yeah, I like to set goals, I like to have sort of loose plans in place of an overall, like a two-year plan, a five-year plan and all that kind of stuff, but it's always open. You know, like if you'd asked me eight or nine years ago whether I'd be an entertainment-based host on a radio show, I would have said absolutely not. I'm going to be, you know, a foreign correspondent and I'm, no, that would not have, that would not have even been on my radar. So I feel like you've just got to, Go, okay, cool, next, and just grab life and and not waste time and see what's next. So I I feel like that openness that I've always had, well, when I say that, the irony I realised saying eight or nine years ago I wouldn't have said that, but as things have changed along the way, so when I was doing like journalism and then producing Q&A and then it was when I was sort of came on to Seven Sharp that – it was sort of identified that some of the more personality-based stuff that I was doing was working for them. So that was when it was like, oh, okay, so they quite liked me sort of falling around and being trying to be, well, not, well, you're trying to be funny, being funny. So that was interesting because that transition was like hard news, serious journalism mixed with a bit of like being funny, yeah, mucking around with the talent, you know, um, you know, like Bridget Jones style yeah. stuff, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when that happened, I was like, okay, well, let's go down this road. Let's see how that pans out. And then, okay, cool, that was fun. That was good. Right, what? Okay, fair go. Yeah. Oh, breakfast, sport. Sweet, love sport. Let's give that a crack, you know? So yeah, yeah. every step along the way I've learned more as well to be open to that. Yeah. So I feel like that's a great way to be and perfect for where I am at now. Yeah, that's great. It's a great way to look at it. And I always think that, you know, sometimes things happen in your life that you don't always want, but when you look back on it, that's sort of, it's exactly what you needed in the right time. Absolutely. It was, um, you know, I had that accident with my legs at at MediaWorks Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like, and, and if that hadn't have happened, then we probably wouldn't have, you know, quit and left and went travelling and, yeah. you know, come back. You know, everything would have changed. You look back on an event like that and you say, hey, look, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but exactly. that was probably the best thing that happened to me, you know, yeah. in a weird kind of way. And I think that um, if you've got the ability to look at an event in the current circumstance and say, I'm going to look back on this and think this is a good thing, it's mm. a really powerful thing. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, and, and 
things aren't always like it's never it's not always a smooth ride. And if anyone's having a smooth ride, can they let me know how you know? Because that you know, but I don't I don't think that's the case for anyone. So it just keeps it keep you on your toes and keeps you excited. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know understanding that challenges are a part of life is a powerful way to be. You mentioned it before, but I just wanted to touch a bit on your you know your running and your fitness and you you know you've done coast to coast a couple of times now well I've done them in team events but I have done every now I've done every leg of it so yeah yes I have been from coast to coast <laughs> and where'd that come from the the sort of I mean was that a, a desire to be fit and healthy or was it an interest that sort of just you know grew or was it um, was it a completely different one? Well, it's funny because back when I was a teenager and stuff, I was quite heavily doing surf lifesaving. And then I think we've always come from a family that's been pretty active. So that's sort of always been a part of my life. And, you know, my mum has done the most insane amount of crazy things. Like she has swum the cook straight. Um, really? Yes. She wow. saw on the Cook Strait when she was 40 and she has done Ironman and marathons and all sorts of stuff. And my dad also as well, before his poor old hips gave out, was was a really you know handy runner and that yeah. and always loved keeping fit. So it's always been in the family. Yeah. What I'm really enjoying is, and the weird kind of scary thing is that I'm almost at that same time where mum – was where she started doing these stupidly long things. I'm like, oh, God, you know, like, yeah. oh. But I think what it is is being in my 30s, I feel like you're just getting mentally tougher and tougher and you're driven by seeing how far you can push yourself and that's absolutely where I am at right now and I think it's such an amazing feeling to know how far you can go and then each time that you push yourself a little bit further or further or you go out and you do a long run and you've had a horrible day and you've hated every minute of it but you've finished it, what you learn from that and what that does for you in other aspects of your life. So that part of it is what I really enjoy. What it does for my mental health is really good. So that's my kind of therapy, so to speak, like if I've had a bad day or I'm feeling a bit rubbish, you know, a run or anything getting out in the fresh air, punching a boxing bag or whatever, like all that kind of stuff is very therapeutic to me. And then I think as well, yeah, I just, I now am, as I said earlier, really competitive towards myself. And so I love the fact that I'm probably, like if we sort of put aside, you know, mid to late teen surf life saving, I'm probably the fittest and strongest I've ever been. So that's cool. I just find that really mm. cool and I and I think that I can probably get fitter and I can probably get stronger and I love that as well. And you've got to keep doing these things while you enjoy them. Yeah. So that's probably why. I don't know why they all necessarily have to be really long things. Yeah, no, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, for exercising and stuff and I just um, – you seem to sort of go for quite – you just all of a sudden jumped in the deep end with it a bit, didn't you? Well, I'd done a few like half marathons and then I remember the time that I did the – Auckland half and I saw like you go in if you finish the half you go into Victoria Park and you see the arrow that turns for the full which goes all the way out around the bays and back and I just thought oh yeah I've got to I've got to do that I've just got to do that so I you know signed up for the next year to do that and training for a marathon was the most amazing experience and journey and it just again, it taught me so much about myself. And then so then, so then you're like, oh yeah, cool, that was that was great. And then 
for some reason I thought it would be a good idea the next year to do the Kepler Challenge, which is like a 60k mountain run. Now, I didn't get to do that because I had sort of suffered a bit of an Achilles injury, which has been a bit annoying. But then, you know, then it was like, okay, what am I going to do? Well, then I'll just get on the bike and I'll do the bike and the coast to coast and, you know, we'll figure out this Achilles. So, yeah, I think just I like having a challenge as yeah. well. I sort of think I'm, I am I need to sort of have something like that to work towards. So I'm just trying to figure out what the next one is actually. Just what trying to, Well, I don't, I don't know. Options? Well, because I'm just trying to slowly patch up the old Achilles and so I'm, I am back running again, but I just kind of have to be really careful, yeah. careful with it. So... I'm not ready to, like, is it a marathon, you know, is it a different marathon, is it Kepler or is it, I think we are going to do the coast to coast again next year, but I just have to listen to my body as well. And so I'm running 10Ks at the moment, it's feeling pretty good, but, you know, what if I get to 20 and it blows out again? So i just sort of trying to tie hard on that a little bit and not sort of overcommit to anything, kind of. Kind yeah, of. oh, exciting! I'll, I'll uh, make sure I stay posted to find out yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> It'll be something ridiculous. <laughs> well, you've got a good role model in your mum. If she's swimming the Cook Strait at oh. forty, she's set the bar high for you, hasn't she? Oh so. my god, I've got <laughs> and but like I've got no desire to do that one. Let me yeah. be like Cook Strait. It's that's like a long, oh, that's a long way. No, yeah. no, 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 no. So not probably not that one. But she said, you know, some of the most re- rewarding stuff she did was one of the Iron Men. That she did where she qualified to go to Hawaii. That was her most proudest, you know, sporting achievement. And I'm like, oh, baby, maybe I'll do an Ironman one day. But it's like, all right, just calm down. Sort, you know, that's that's a, that's next level. Yeah. But, you know, there's definitely that kind of stuff just yeah. go in your mind. Yeah, it does. And it sort of rattles around there and you sort of get a bit nervous about saying it out loud and class you end up sort of accidentally committing to something. But I think what you said before about sort of personifying your ability to overcome challenges is mm. really, you know, like, like there's people that probably don't ever think they could do any, you know, something in particular and then you go out and run a marathon or you do something and you're like, well, if I could do a marathon, maybe there's something else that I could, you know, give but a nudge. I think what people also uh, need to realise is that everyone's, Goals and challenges can be different. And when I have a lot of women particularly message me about, oh, you know, I want to start out running or running's really hard. And it's like, yeah, it's really hard. Like let's not be under any illusions that it's an easy thing to do. It is absolutely not. And I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll just buy some shoes and I'll run it. I'll go out there and I'll run 5Ks. That's hard, you know. And I think often people think, oh, no, I'm not doing that again. But you, but not everyone's challenge needs to be the same, you know, like, and I think we just sort of need to realise that. And so if you think, right, well, I'd like to run 5Ks, then you just start slow yeah. so that you do sort of start to enjoy learning how to push yourself and yeah. stuff like that. Well, you said something good before and you said it a couple of times now that, you know, you compete against yourself. And I mm. think that's a really good way to, a good attitude to have because if you start looking at, you know, particularly these days, you know, everyone goes a run and we take photos of our watches yep. and put them up and you look at someone and you go, man, they ran far or they ran fast. And some people it's not possible. It's mm. unattainable to be running mm. that speed or that distance. But competing against yourself and, and trying to get better than you were yesterday is, mm. a, is a fantastic way to well, be. The, the other thing that's really contagious about it all, like, and I'll give uh, Coast to Coast as an amazing example, or if you go and do, like, a fun run or anything, I think once you've done something like that, uh, yeah, whether it's a 5K run but it's in a, a public environment, it's so damn contagious. So 
you go to the, you stand on the start line of the coast to coast, and that's a pretty out there event. There are all shapes, all sizes, all ages, and everyone has a journey, and everyone's got there a different way, and everyone has a story, and it's so inspiring to be around people. That's why I think as well I love doing that kind of stuff. Even, you know, uh, amazing event on Sunday, the run to remember. And again, you know, everyone's there, people with their dogs, and it's just once you sort of, I think people get a little bit intimidated as well by that kind of stuff, but once you actually get there and realise that there's so many wonderful people doing it for all sorts of different reasons, and if you're not the elite guy trying to win it, then you're sweet, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, wicked, I'm going to run this 10Ks and I'm going to see how I go and maybe, yeah, better your own times and that. And it's a really, really fun space to be yeah, in. Yeah, they are fun. They're a bit mm. addictive sometimes as well. What are you most proud of when you think back now? You know, it's a tough question, but, you know, you've done a lot. You've been a lot of places. You've had a you know successful career in a number of different fields, you know, all under media. But, you know, is there something you look back on now? Maybe it's career or family or sport or a physical achievement. You know, is there something that sort of stands out to you that you're particularly proud of? I actually think one of the things that I'm really proud of, actually there's a couple of things. In in myself, I'm proud of my drive and passion and and, and longingness to succeed in all aspects of my life. And yeah, does that sometimes do you head in? Yes, because you're like, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. But I'm by and large proud of and grateful to have that kind of attitude. But I'm also really proud of people around me that help me in my life as well. So, you know, my, my parents, I'm proud that I've got amazing supportive parents who've helped me to be who I am today. I'm proud of having these amazing friends that are all in various ways successful in their jobs, but also fantastic support mechanisms and friends. And I am bloody proud of running a marathon. Yeah, So those, yeah. So me and, and my longingness to keep going and keep pushing the people around me that helped me do that and yeah that physical achievement was pretty out the gate and I want to do it again nice what do you want to do like what's I mean I don't mean next or tomorrow or I mean like you sort of it's like everything you've had is sort of funneling you in a direction that's sort of you know I don't know what do you know what sort of what you want your legacy to be or, you know, like if – what do you want someone to stand up and say about you at the end? You know, have you thought about it at all? Gosh. (laughs) You know, you seem to have this sort of underwritten sort of idea of empowering particularly women, Mm. you know, sort of showing what's possible and and using your platform, whatever that is, to be able to do it. And it sort of seems that that's a common theme, whatever you've been doing, and you enjoy journalism and you enjoy telling stories and sharing and engaging with other humans and and particularly empowering – people and it just sort of I mean, you might not have an answer you know well geez you just planted some good ideas in my head no yeah. um I, I actually um spoke at a corporate company yesterday in light of international women's day and one thing that i'm really proud to believe that i'm a part of and want to continue being a part of is a community and i'm not saying that men are excluded but a community where women can come to and feel safe and feel empowered and feel like they're not alone and feel like they can be strong. And I think, you know, there's an element of that in what we do what we do in our Girls on Top podcast. So I think I want to do more of that kind of stuff where, as I say, like it's not – because the speech that I did yesterday, there was 
men there and I really must emphasise the fact that being pro-woman or, you know, want longing for women to get equality does not mean that you're anti-men or that you hate men. Yes. And I think that a lot of the time that gets a bit mixed up and lost in translation. But I do want to be in a space where I can in some way help and contribute to more and more young girls, women, whoever feel like that they're part of a community because I feel like we long for that much more now. We want to – you only have to look at like the success of, you know, like a run club or even book clubs are coming back and people want to be part of something. Yeah. So I would like to be part of that. You know, if there's a way that I can do that, then – I'm up for it. Yeah. And what about your podcast? You've mentioned that a few times. Well, yeah. I mean, the podcast is great because it has been a place where three chicks just start yarning and have fun and laugh and sometimes say inappropriate stuff. But then you go, well, actually, was that inappropriate? Did we say something that hundreds of girls are like, oh, I think that too, or oh, I've been through that too, or I understand what you're saying. And, and so – We've kind of accidentally created a community in that respect as well. And that's something that I'm really, really proud of. And that's something that's, I think, making me learn and also discover what women are wanting in life and and in our society. So with us doing that, that's really important. So Mm. it's been something that... I've been really proud of. Yeah, but yeah, it's a um, it's a cool thing to do. I mean, it's interesting. So the the listenership of this podcast is is very male skewed, um, mm-hmm. and that wasn't an intention. It just sort of has been the way it's been. Um, so it's quite interesting to you know have you on to chat about this sort of stuff. I hope it will. Um, if it's males that are listening, they can sort of open up a bit of perspective as well. Yeah, well, because that, that that is yeah, like going back to say that I think that there are some lots and lots and lots and lots of awesome. Wicked, supportive men who are 100% behind women and everything. And then I think there is a probably a percentage that are kind of confused with everything that's going on in terms of like the Me Too movement and stuff and thinking, oh, my God, you know, look at all these feminists. They all hate us, you know, and that's not the case. That The challenge there is just a bit more education around that and making men feel like, well, come and be part of the conversation, like come to the party, you know what I mean? Um, and then you do have dickheads. And, you know, one of my sayings is you can't smart stupid, so just leave them. They're fine. They'll always be there. But, yeah, you know, so it is important to to remind men that there are so many – like, yeah, I can stand up for women every day of the week and that doesn't mean that I yeah, am, am, am anti-men. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And men are cool and I am some of my best friends are men, so, yeah. you know, 100%. Nice. Is there anything that uh, – this is just an odd question, but is there anything you're obsessed with at the moment? And it could be anything. It might be a TV show or a, or a restaurant or a food or a um, – you know, and it's, it's more just to figure out what like what do, you, what do you think about before you go to sleep at night? Like is there something that you go – Oh, you know, like, I mean, for me at the moment, it's Pix peanut butter. Do you like Pix peanut butter? It See, is... I'm not, like, people that are love that love peanut butter mm-hmm. are quite like, yeah. and I, I I, like peanut butter. Yeah. But that's yeah, not. not a nutter, yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah. not. Look, my food obsession is fried chicken. I just, I can't get enough of it. And, you know, like, every time that we decide to have Uber Eats, it's like, can we find a new place in this city that's doing chicken? <laughs> and there are a lot of places doing really good chicken in Christchurch. So that's probably my my food obsession. But the funny thing is, oh, this is quite – it's probably not the most healthiest obsession, but I really, really like going out in the sun and 
getting tanned. And I'm getting a little bit, you know, with some of the some of the weather that's creeping in now, I, I'm sort of starting to lose my tan a little bit and I get a little bit anxious about that. So, <laughs> so like, if I can look at the weather and go, mint, it's going to be 30 degrees on Thursday, I'm going to the beach, you know. like. But that's also a massive passion of mine is, is the beach yes. and swimming and, and just, you know, being there. So at the moment, yes. Am I a little bit concerned that my tan's fading? Yes. Do I wear sunscreen though? Yes, I do. I promise you. Fried chicken and suntans. Fried chicken. <laughs> fried chicken and fried body, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Hey, is there anything you want to leave anyone with? A, a message, an idea, a story, a quote, or, you know, maybe not, but um, if you've got anything you wanted to... Well, I guess maybe one thing I would say is always put your mental health first. And I think we probably are all still not perfect at that, but we have to look after what's going on in the top two inches in order to even function in life. So that would be what I'd say to people is always put that first. I love it. Brody, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Um, Where can people find you, follow you, stay in touch? Yes, well, um, I'm on Instagram at Brody Jean Kane, and that's, to be honest with you, that's probably the easiest. I'm very, very engaging on Instagram. Um, probably just spend way too much time on it. Or I'm at Brody Kane at gmail.com. You're a legend. Thanks so much, Brody. Thank you. And there we go, another episode done and dusted. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. And of course, thank you so much to Brody as well for taking the time to come and have a chat today. Like I said, um, we've known each other for, for a wee while now and it's so cool to see how far she's come and how well she's doing. I look forward to whatever is next on her agenda. I've no doubt it'll be a success as well. Hey, if you did enjoy the podcast or you took something out of it today, you could do one of two things. One, jump online to iTunes and leave a positive review. And alternatively, and the most important thing you could do would be to share this episode. You can do it one of two ways. One, whatever platform you're listening to this episode on right now, there'll be a share button on there. Click on it and send it to someone you know or like or you think they might like it. Alternatively, uh, just tell someone about it face-to-face. Go super old school and tell someone to come and check out the Road to Success podcast. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever want to find me or get in contact you can jump online to mattylovell.com or on Facebook and Instagram under my name as well so thanks so much for checking out the podcast have a great day see ya bye